Would you join me tonight in the book of Revelation? Uh, by the way, I have been asked officially now to have the Easter sunrise service, and this afternoon, since I didn't get to work, I just came to my study. And uh, the Lord arm wrestled me. <laughs> I've been praying because it won't be long. They'll call me up and say, What's your text and what's your sermon title and what do you want to be read so it can be put in the bulletin? And this afternoon, book of Revelation. Why not? Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 is going to be my text for the Easter sunrise service. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now that's a Easter message if I've ever found one. So uh, we're going to spend a little time on Revelation and what uh, Apocalypto means. And it doesn't mean we're looking at the end of the world. We're looking at a successful God. So uh, you pray for me. I'm looking forward to this. I was told that the um, group of churches in town was wanting to take it over, and uh, but they didn't do anything, so they... Masonic Lodge asked me again. So this may be my last year. I don't know. But I'm going to take it this year. Number 11? 11, I think. 11 or 12 or something like that. So, so All right. Here in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, I want to begin reading with verse 4 and read through verse 18. Now, uh, somebody wrote this. When we get to verse 13, the Savior's revelation of himself. I thought that was really a clear, blessed way to view these words that were given to John. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, as we read, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and who hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I like that. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother, and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, 
clothed. Now this is the Savior's revelation of himself. This is the, the view that the Savior wants us to have of the Savior. And everything is so significant and he's such a blessing. Son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle, and his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass. And if you have Hawker's Dictionary, look brass up. He spends quite a bit of time dealing with this verse of Scripture here in the book of Revelation. It's a real blessing. As if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth one a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now, I'm just excited about getting to those words. But before we do, let's look at verse 11 tonight. Look at verse 11. We spent a little time in this verse, but we want to spend a little more tonight saying, I am, this is the great voice. This is the great voice. This is what the great voice as a trumpet said. Now, as I was thinking about that great voice again and kind of review this great voice is that same voice that spoke this world into existence. What a great, exciting time. And then it is that same great voice that spoke the, the uh, excuse me, that great voice that spoke and raised Lazarus from the dead. It's that same great voice. And it was that great voice that spoke and said, it is finished. What a statement was made. Eternity had been waiting for that statement. And all of God's people had been waiting for that statement. Now, we enjoy the trip to the tomb of Lazarus. Uh, if I just want some exciting times, I just read over there and, whoa, Lazarus come forth and he came out of that tomb. The voice of the Lord said it. But when you go to the cross and hear the Lord Jesus say, it is finished, I just am ecstatic. <laughs> the work is complete. Now, we're on the Lord's Sabbath. <laughs> we're in his rest. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. That as it was a type in the Old Testament, the antitype is the Lord Jesus Christ finished every work that was necessary for our redemption. And this book is going to fulfill those statements on how he overcame and overcomes and will continue to overcome every enemy of the church. This is the victorious Lord God Almighty that we're reading about and all that is brought in here. Some of the things are hard to be understood, but I want us to, when we come to the conclusion of those verses, we will find out the Lord was victorious over them. Whatever they are, the Lord is victorious. Now, the, this great voice also said, all power and all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He gives us the privilege of worshiping the King of Kings. 
and he does not need to wait for a time when men consent to him reigning. Now, God's people assent to it, but we've never consented to it. He reigns. And I like, he must reign until he has put every enemy under his foot. And that means the last sheep. <laughs> now, in their undone condition, they're rebellious against God, and he will work it out until they submit. I like what we heard on Sunday in the Bible class. He just grabs us and squeezes a, a confession of faith out of us. And after it's over with, we just say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Our voice did things that wouldn't happen by nature. We just couldn't get to those high words. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We'd never confess it unless he is squeezing it out of us. Thank God Almighty. Now, this voice is the same voice that spoke to John this day, and he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest... Now, that means what I show you, what I show you, I'm going to show you what thou seest. Now, that's good. That's good. But what really astonished me is write it in a book and send it. Now, there's a lot of things that are written that were never written or intended to be sent anywhere. It wasn't until after my grandmother's passing that I got to read her diary. You know, it was personal. I read about my brother passing, all kinds of stuff that I'd were concerned about, wondered about. But this, John, write it and send it. Send it to who? The seven churches which are in Asia under Ephesus, and under Smyrna, and under Pergamos, and under Thyatira, and under Sardis, and under Philadelphia, and under Laodicea. Now, these are in order. If you were going from church to church, as John might have, a preacher might have, this is the circuit he would have taken. And this is how it is brought out to us. Now, there's much said in writing about the seven churches of Asia and what they represent. But I'm convinced as we look at these seven churches, we will see any church over time in those seven churches. Now, before we get too far here, we want to say this, that it was a day of grace when lowly children of Adam would be sent a letter from the Almighty. That's a day of grace. Now, if you had something sour to say, it's still a day of grace. And if you had something pleasant to say, it's the day of grace. This, what thou seest, what I reveal to you, what I show you, write in a book, that's good. But sending it, that's gracious. Send it to the seven churches. And we're the recipients of that letter today as we read this. As we go through the book of Revelation, we're reading someone else's mail, and it is as much to us today as it was to them then. And we still are enjoying the wonderful promise of everlasting, eternal victory that we have that God has provided in Christ Jesus. We delight in it as the church at Ephesus did. 
We delight in it as the church at Philadelphia did. We delight in it. They are being burdened on every side. They are being hounded by authorities. They are being uh, made, uh, made the off-scouring of the world. And God sends them this letter of his great grace. And there is nobody better to correct than the Almighty. Nobody better. Nobody better to give a compliment than the Almighty. But if Lord help us, and we do need it, we need to be corrected, there's no one better than the Almighty to address us. What have we already read? He has loosed us from our sins in his own blood. What have we read? He has made us kings and priests. We have already read the great rich blessings. So if this one who has saved us by his grace should come to us and say, I have somewhat against you, what will God's people do? What is it, Lord? What is it, Lord? You've placed me in yourself. You've lifted me out of a horrible pit. You've made me one of your children. What is it? Share that with me. It's not going to be a sad day. It's going to be a day of grace when God Almighty will speak to us, even if it is things that he is not pleased with. I'd rather have him do it. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have him do it. He's going to do it graciously. Have you ever been had someone come against you with a, a, a charge that was not being very friendly or happy or pleasant? Boy, it just raises the hackles on the back of my neck, and I want to say, well, you pulled a log out of your eye, and then you can take care of the splinter in my eye. <laughs> you know how we feel? Well, when the God of glory who saved us says, I have somewhat against you, God's people say, what is it, Lord? What is it? This day now, it is so evident that when and not if God looked down from heaven, turn with me over to the Psalms, if you would. When he looked down from heaven, he saw nothing in man to encourage him to be gracious. There was not one thing he could see in all of men. Now, we brought out uh, Sunday evening as we went through that wonderful passage in the book of Romans chapter 8. And the, the uh, popular view about how individuals get the grace of God is that he looked down through time to see them believing on the Lord Jesus, and when he saw that, then he wrote their names down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, turn over here. As we think about the gracious message of God's grace that he sent to these seven churches and to all his people down through time, let's see what he saw when he looked down through time. And there wasn't anything that he could see that would be an inclination from him, for, from him or from us to say, I think I'll be merciful to him because of that. Notice here, book of Psalms, twice it's mentioned in almost identical words, and the first one is found in Psalm 14, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you ever have anybody tell you, or you have the idea that it was you that really cause God to choose you before the foundation of the world on some good work that you are going to do, that you are going to believe, just go back to Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, and read that from time to time, and it's a humbling experience. <laughs> because it says here that, and Paul almost quotes this word for word, 
in the book of Romans, but notice the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Now, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. All right. Men, women, boys and girls, here is your opportunity to make an impression on God. If that's how he's going to do it, then this is the opportunity. Now notice what God had to say about looking down from heaven. He said, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy, and there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that theory doesn't hold water. It's broken. It's based upon the goodness of man, and it's not based upon the grace of God. Now, the scriptures teach us that God only saw this. If we go over to the 53rd Psalm, we find the identical words recorded there about God looking down from heaven to see if there were any that did seek after him, and he found the same there. The uh, psalmist mentions that in the 53rd Psalm. There is nothing that would turn God's eye towards us. And that makes it that much more special when he would send us his word. I find it not a problem that God had his word written down. A lot of people write words down and never intend to share it with a soul. God could have easily done that. He could have had his word written down and never shared it with a soul. It could have been his diary. And we find here, I look down and there's nobody, nobody that sought after me. So from here on out, I'm just going to write words to myself. But we find, in fact, that the Lord God Almighty not only had it written down, but he sends it. He sends it. He sends it out. Now, before I get too far ahead, I do want to look at twice the Lord Jesus Christ used this word that we find in this verse of Scripture. It says, uh, under the seven churches which are in Asia. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? The book of Matthew. The Lord Jesus mentions this particular word two other times. One time it's twice, and one time it's once. But he mentions this word two other times in Scripture, in his own personal ministry. Now notice with me how he uses this word. The first time it's used in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ has just asked Peter, Who do you say that I am? Peter had made that wonderful confession of the Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord Jesus Christ told Peter how he could say that. <laughs> It wasn't by your strength, and it wasn't by your might, and it wasn't by your education. This is came by revelation. My Father hath revealed this to you. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, we re read then, as it goes down through there, chapter 16, Peter uh, said, Thou art the Christ, in verse 16, verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say unto th also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I believe we would be very foolish and unscriptural 
if we try to make that word mean a local body. That is the church universal. That is the church of the living God. That is church in heaven and in earth. That is every saved person in heaven and in earth. He said there, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now he's not saying that Peter would be the rock. Peter means a small rock. The rock that's mentioned here is a large rock, the rock of Gibraltar style. There's only one that would fit that. That's the Lord. He's our rock. He is our sure foundation. So the Lord used it here. Two chapters later in Matthew chapter 18, he uses the same word and he gives this significant meaning. And these seven assemblies that this letter is going to go out to are very important because it is through the local assembly that he's speaking about here that the gospel is preached, that people come and enjoy the fellowship of the Lord and hear preaching and Bible reading and sing praises unto him. It is in this capacity that the Lord mentions it here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, the scriptures share this. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. That's the prescription. If you have a problem, go to your brother or your sister and get it straightened out. That's it. And if he shall not hear thee, now you've got to go first. If they'll not hear you, then this is the second prescription. Well, if, if he shall hear thee, between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he'll not hear thee, then take two or three, take with thee one or two more, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Here's the prescription. Won't hear? Take some friends, not enemies. Take care of it. You know, if there's a hindrance, to your growth or someone else's growth. If there's been an offense, take care of it. This is the way it's supposed to be done. And then he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, if he should neglect to hear them, then, and then, and then alone, bring it to the church, the local assembly. And if he will not hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You've judged yourself unworthy. Now, this is never to be done in spite, anger, or anything else. That's not the business. But the Lord Jesus Christ used this word church in this verse of Scripture to share with us, I know what it means. There's the church universal, and there's the church at Jerusalem. There's the church of all saints, the family of God. Everyone that has ever been born again is an assembly. Now, I really liked, and it helped me a lot, when Moose shared with me, Moose Parks, who was a missionary down in the islands, the Caribbean islands, St. Croix. And while he was down there, he was having some difficulty along this line. And one of the other missionaries down there, he posed this question, because this word church means an assembly. And this missionary asked Moose, he said, all right. Or Moose asked him, where does your universal church assemble? And the other preacher said, well, at the feet of Jesus, where else? <laughs> That's where the church assembles, is at the feet of Jesus. Now, we have the privilege extended to us here in the Dallas to get together in a local body. 
of believers that love the word and love God and fellowship with one another. It's our family. You are my family. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches, and I like it that way too. Besides that, you're my family. You're my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Now, Jesus said this is the meanings. One means, one attitude of this means all saved, and the other one says there's a local assembly where I have preaching done. I have singing done. I have fellowship done. That's where it is. Now, we enjoy being members of the same body, but we'll not all assemble until we're at his feet in glory. Now, we do it spiritually now, and when I meet brothers and sisters in Christ across the country or around the world, and we're all uh, his saved, we have fellowship, even though we may not be in the same local body, and it's because of the blood of Christ. But there's a local assembly, and I'll tell you, Ephesus was blessed to have a local assembly that got the letter they did from Paul. And Philadelphia was blessed to have a local assembly where preaching was going on, and it wasn't watered-down stuff. It wasn't works. It wasn't the, uh, an incorporation of the religion of those communities mixed with the gospel. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those communities were blessed to have the gospel preached in that place. And they were blessed by the grace of God to have this, this letter sent to them, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. They were blessed. Grace was reigning. Grace was on display. Grace was overwhelming. And in fact, as we approach, turn with me to the book of uh, Romans, chapter 9, as we th go through the book of Romans, and uh, we're, in, we're on the mountaintop in the book of Romans. <laughs> I, I don't mind telling you, it just wearies me sometimes to find out how bad I am. <laughs> and the first seven and a half chapters of the book of Romans spends a good deal of time sharing with me what I am in Adam. And I just enjoy getting to the part that shares with me how God saves those kind of folk. <laughs> and he does it so gloriously, and I just want to delight and relish in it. So that's what we find here. But in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, verse 15, we read these words, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Now that's never more evident than the church of Laodicea getting a letter from God. <laughs> I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Now you read the letter to the Laodiceans, and it's not all that complimentary. But God was pleased to send them by his grace. He was pleased to send them the letter. And he said, if you'll repent, my goodness, I'm overwhelmed that God would spend any time with that group of people anyway. It was a letter of grace that he sent to them. The same is true of the Corinthians my goodness, read through there and see the problems they had. And God had two letters sent to them. How gracious God is to send us the word of God. He could have, he didn't, but he could have made a diary out of it. And to many people, it is nothing more than a diary. But to God's people, it is breath and life. 
It is a letter God sends to us. Thank God he does, he is pleased with us, but thank God when he is not, he writes to us and shares that. And we should be pleased that the king of glory would write to us like he did to those churches and share with us, I have somewhat against thee. And you know what? Every believer in those churches was broken in heart and mind when the king of glory said, I have somewhat against you. Oh, God, change me so I can be conformable unto you. It wasn't an, I'm so sick of hearing this kind of thing from God. No, thank you, God Almighty, for your letter to me, your pleasant letter to me, that you would be enough interested in my well-being to send a corrective letter to me. Thank God. Well, as we go through here in the book of Romans, chapter uh, 15, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 15, for he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And you could just write down there, <coughs> church at Ephesus, church at Philadelphia, church at Pergamos, church at Thyatira, I'll have mercy, I'll have mercy, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now, if there was an issue in those churches, it certainly was because we got to power in ourselves. And God's letter of grace said, no, you don't. Your whole hope is in me. Your whole eternity is in me. It's not in yourself. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Well, that's why he wrote to the seven churches, that you might know my power, and your, my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, as I was thinking about grace, I told a man one time, he happened to be the deacon of the church I was pastoring after the Lord saved me, and he, I says, I know more about grace now than i ever known in my life. And it was just that God would save a sinner like me. But did you, I just think about this and I, I hope, hope this will be a blessing, but grace is an invisible, undetected and silent agent of God. I mean, it's around his people and they don't, before they're saved, they don't even know it's there. It is so silent. It is so invisible. It is so undetectable that we just don't have a thing to do with it. Grace was so evident before the world began. A lamb was set aside. And grace was so evident in creation of all living things. Well, there's parts of our planet that is just uninhabitable. And yet there's critters that live there. Grace, dry land. I'm amazed that God made animals that will never drink one drop of water in their entire life. And they make others, he made others that demand gallons every day. How gracious of God. This grace was evident when Adam was created and Eve was created. And when skins were provided, 
It was silent as light until it was needed. Adam and Eve sinned against a thrice holy God and they didn't even know surrounding them. Silent, invisible, undetectable was the almighty, ever-present grace of almighty God. And when they sinned, he was not reactionary. The grace of God was already there. And he took care of the issue by covering them with the skins of animals, stripped them of their old fig leaf religion, and covered them with the skins of animals. By his grace, not one that has ever known grace felt like they deserved it. My goodness. It has been invisible. It has been undetectable. It has been silent. It has been revealed. And no one that has ever had it revealed to them will ever say, I deserve this. The absolute opposite is always true. And in fact, when we get to the point that we feel we deserved it, it's still silent. It's still undetectable. And it is still invisible. And we've not seen it. No one said God needed to give it. Grace is elusive. And it's only at the command of God that grace will grab us. I like watching a canine that is under control, don't you? I love to watch those critters, a dog when they are absolutely in command of their master. Their master has every word. They sit at his command. They roll over at his command. But the same dog at the command attack. Now, Grace is God's wonderful hound dog. Elusive, silent, undetectable. Until he says, Sikkim. And then that grace lays hold of us and squeezes out a confession of faith. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's just grace. It is everywhere but undetected by anybody except those he says Sikkim to. Now, when he wrote these letters to the seven churches of Asia, they were found in his gracious eye. So pleasant to have God write a letter. It is his grace. Grace goes to and fro in the earth, silent and undetected until at God's command it attacks and squeezes the most sinful one till submission is acknowledged. I like it. If it wasn't for grace, not one would ever got a letter from God. If it wasn't for grace, God would have not created the heavens and the earth. If it wasn't for grace, he'd have never created Adam and Eve. And if it wasn't for grace, he'd have never covered them with the skins of animal. If it wasn't for grace, there would never have been a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And if it wasn't for grace, the Lord Jesus would not have been born in a manger of a virgin. If it wasn't for grace, he'd have never walked up Golgotha. And if it wasn't for grace, he'd have never said, it is finished. So these people that received the letter from God, 
God's people, all his people, all his children, all his lost sheep of the house of Israel, when they hear the gracious message of God's grace in Christ Jesus, the Savior, the Lord Jesus as the Savior, it is stunning. It stops people in their tracks. They have been overcome. Submission has been acknowledged. We then realize that this grace cleansed us from our sins and gave us rich portions of food and drink. Gave us a robe of righteousness and introduced us in good standing to God. I like that. Introduced us to God in good standing. Introduced us to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And gave us eternal life. It, gave, it was grace that allowed us to have the word of God. And grace that applied it. Now turn with me if you would. To a wonderful passage of scripture. Found in the book of Ephesians. As silent. As undetectable. And yet as powerful. As the very voice of God in creation. This great voice that spoke. Now notice with me here in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and I have to say again, you can't enjoy the grace of God. You can't enjoy the grace of God found in Ephesians chapter 2 without enjoying chapter 1. Now notice here, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. From Alpha to Omega, the beginning and the ending of our salvation is in grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It is by grace that we are saved from Alpha and Omega, from beginning to end. There's not one point anywhere in the beginning, in the middle, or in the conclusion of our salvation that is not a result of God's grace. Now, going back to the book of Revelation there, chapter 1 and verse 11, we notice how gracious it was for God to come down and speak to John and say, what you see, what I reveal to you, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, they were local assemblies of God's people in these various places. These are probably small groups of people. And there's not one of these churches left. They're all gone. In 2,000 years... They've gone. The towns have died. The churches have died. But we know that the gospel has always been successful because it's here with us today. And I have to say this, that we can only be faithful in our generation. Can't be faithful for the last one, and we can't be faithful for the next one. We can only be faithful in our generation. 
And as the Lord writes, as John writes, he says, these seven churches, now Asia is Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. He said there are seven churches there. Many scholars believe that there were more churches than that in this area, but these seven, the whole, the perfect number, represent all. Now, I said on Sunday night, I believe it was, or Sunday morning, that there's only one person in all the scriptures that is recorded a time and a place and an event when they were saved. I was wrong. In retrospect, there's at least two, the thief on the cross and Saul of Tarsus. (laughs) But those people represent all the people that will ever be saved. They will hear the word of God. That is number one priority. Grace will be evident in opening their heart, taking out the stony heart and giving them the heart of flesh. Grace is just evident in those two lives. That's how it happens. Now, it may not be with the same bells and same whistles, but it's how it happens. God saves his people. Now, this gracious letter that he had sent to these seven churches, Ephesus and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. I want you to note, let us note together, when he sent a letter to one, it was the identical message to the other. He didn't change messages for different people. These are generally speaking Gentile churches, which was unheard of under the Jewish economy. (laughs) But... He sent the same letter, same revelation of himself, same revelation of the word, same message of grace, same victory in Christ, same washing of of loosing of our sins in his own blood, same statement about what we get. We're kings and priests of the Lord. He never changed the message when he sent out seven letters. The message was always the same. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. It was the same message. And that same message is being carried out today using the same book. Now, I know John wrote in Greek and we read it in the King's English. But thank God, he was, God was gracious enough to give the wisdom to some people to translate it. Because I'm not one to learn Greek. I'm glad for his grace, his unmerited favor. It was evident before the foundation of the world. It was evident in creation. It was evident when he sent a prophet to one single widow. It was evident when he commanded one single leper to go wash. It was evident when he dealt with four leprous men. It was evident when he opened up the windows of heaven and gave them food, his grace. It was all around them, silent, undetectable. They couldn't feel it. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't see it until he loosed it on them. And then they knew more about grace than they'd ever known before. They didn't have to go to a dictionary to define it. They knew what it was here. God saves wicked people, sinners. And he does it 
in his own gracious manner. We robbed him of his glory, stole from him, and yet he would save us. It's more than just unmerited favor. It is favor shown towards the one and ones that would attempt to destroy God. Take him of his glory. Steal from him. Rob him. Rob him. Leave him. That's grace. So, in chapter uh, 1 and verse 12, we'll, we'll get onto this next time. But we'll start to go down through this revelation, the Savior's revelation of himself. Oh, that's grace. Everything about him is glorious. And we can say, as the church did in the Song of Solomon, I like this, he is altogether lovely. Altogether.